I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. everybody to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy because today we have a special special way of doing this, a special format. Um, most of you who listen know that Danae and I teach some live classes or lead live groups uh, a couple times a week. And so we're actually bringing you this episode from inside one of our groups because there's been some really interesting dialogue around a specific topic that I know I'm actually, Nicole, since the last time we talked in the midst of myself. Um, it came up very recently as in like yesterday talking through it with my therapist. So it feels really alive right now. And I feel like I've heard some variation of this topic, um, in the last few weeks, right? That's what Psyche does. It tends to present us with, with themes. So we're going to talk a little bit today. Um, I'm just calling this, this, this idea of feeling like we need to scream to be heard, but mm-hmm. I think it's going to probably go off into a few different, you know, avenues split off into different avenues. And that's also fine. Um, And here's what I want to start with. So before we got on, Danae and I were chatting about how um, I'll kind of just give you the top view of like my therapy session yesterday where I was saying um, I'm struggling with how to talk to um, half my normal sound. Okay, hang on. Fix my sound. How's that? Is that better? Turn myself up. Okay. So I was talking yesterday uh, to my therapist about the desire or the need to talk in my relationship about something, right? And basically, it doesn't matter even what it is. It's just the fact that I want to talk about something. And basically, where my mind goes is, 
um, I have two extremes that I hold as my, my options for speaking. I either don't <laughs> or I do. And it comes across as like a complete asshole, a bitch, or as I said to Danae, and sorry for all your little virgin ears out there, a cunt. And that is my way of saying I'm a very, I'm a New Yorker. I actually enjoy that word. Most people get really offended by it. That's okay. She's saying that because of the physical reaction I had when she said it last time. I went, you what? <laughs> she clutched her pearls, actually. I, I sure did. Um, but, you know, whatever. It's semantics. The point is, is it's like that feeling of being an asshole, right? It's that feeling of like being aggressive, being too much, um, being a bitch. And, and what does that lead to, right? not being liked, um, being left, being abandoned, being rejected, right? Not being heard. Um, and so obviously the alternative is not speaking up, which means I might maintain the quote unquote attachment, but I lose the attachment to myself, right? I self-abandon in that process. And so my struggle that I was kind of talking through yesterday with him was like, so what does that middle ground sound like? And I have a therapist who very much does that whole, like, well, what do you think it sounds like? Which pisses me off. And I usually say to him, <laughs> I need you to actually tell me right now what that sounds like. <laughs> like, I don't want to, I don't want you to turn this background on me. I'm a therapist. I know your games. Like, I need you to tell me from your perspective. I want your fucking opinion. Like, what do you think that sounds like? And that's pretty much what I said to him yesterday. So um, I just want to kick it off with that kind of thought today and, and question what comes up for you when I say that. Well, <laughs> you know, I think that there is, and I think we talk about this a lot when I am getting to the point where I am starting to take up a little space after a lifetime of being conditioned to not be too much, not, um, be like, you know, especially when we talk about this as women, a lot of times to not be, um, not nice to be likable to, um, that this is like how we get love. Um, taking up space, allowing ourselves to be seen and heard. And this is like, I think human across the board, it can feel like in order to do that, I'm going against everything that I've been conditioned to be and do. And, um, it just is such like, I think we have to give ourselves grace that it feels like I'm doing it with like a baseball bat, like coming in, like full force, um, enraged. And, and sometimes I think we are a little bit, and I think you speak to this, a lot that like, as we're getting our bearings with starting to use our voice, it can feel that way. And, and to me, the bigger and is a lot of times we are, are not really seeing the person that we're in communication with when we're in that space, we're seeing the, the original wound, the caregiver, the parent that, you know, didn't care about our needs that, um, shamed us for taking up space that, made us feel like we were too much, whatever the story is. And so it's, you know, it's this thing of doing the reparenting work of like really checking in with what is the story I'm telling myself about if I take up space, what will that mean? What feels historic about that? And can I sort of bring my inner adult into the situation and have a conversation about like, how can I hold space for that child within me that is feeling all of the feelings, all of the shame around taking up space, but then actually like bringing that adult to have a conversation with another adult versus sort of like that space of like sparring from my child who's like trying to get a parent's attention. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I want to bring, and if you're willing to Nicole, I'd love to kind of bring you in on this conversation. So I hear what you're saying, Danae, all of it. And, um, I, you know, and look at, I a little bit talk in the realm of kind of codependency recovery about how a lot of this is actually communication skills building. Mm 
Mm -hmm. right? Like brass tacks. Like sometimes we just, we just don't have the communication skills sometimes like we weren't taught. Right. And so a lot of this is trial by error. A lot of this is like me literally saying to my therapist, no, I really don't know what to fucking say. Like I need you to help me. Right. Um, and, and part of this, and I want to go back to a conversation you and I had last weekend was around me saying, um, but what I want to say is this, this, and this, and partly you said to me, so say that, right? Like, so say that. And I'm like, yeah, but that feels so mean to say like, some of those things that I want to say feel mean and they feel like they're going to cut somebody off at the knees. And like, I don't want to feel mean. Babe, will you give an example or do you want Nicole to do it? Cause I feel like it's, it's. Well, the reason why I'm going to bring Nicole in on this is because I feel like, and Nicole, I'd be curious to know if you can update us on how that conversation went for you, if you did have it, but you were having a situation, right. Where it felt as though there had been boundary violations. There had been things going on. And you, to me, felt like you hit a breaking point where you were like, I'm going to say the thing, right? And the thing was probably going to be said in what I would say is like the scream, right? Because it felt like you would hit the point where the only way I can be heard is the scream. I've maybe tried it other softer ways and I haven't been heard. And so it feels like I'm a little backed into a corner and now this is the only way to say it. Right. And so what I'm dealing with in my personal scenario is trying to figure out again, that middle ground. Like if I don't want to get to the scream, how do I say it when I'm in the middle, but I'm talking too much. So Nicole, will you tell me, I guess, or tell us like, first of all, where are you at with it? But also, um, just kind of reconnect us into like that process for you and where you were at when you were kind of feeling cornered. Sure. Thank you for asking. And, and, it feels good to be able to continue this and get more feedback. Um, where I am is that I realized because I'm a person that feels so much so intensely, it feels like it snowballs quickly. I know that for another person, it can feel very overwhelming. They're responding to my tone and not necessarily the content, which is what I want. So I was thinking about how to not rush at somebody with that. And what I realized is I need to have two separate conversations for me to help ground myself too. One where I express emotions and another one where I make requests or perhaps talk about more of the boundary work, which I feel like pairs better there in that second installment. So um, part of why I was having a hard time of how to even approach this person is because I myself felt a snowball of emotions. And that's why I said, I did say, I have something to share with you. It has to be given in pieces because I'm still trying to understand it. Mm-hmm. And I want to feel like you. I'm I'm giving you the right thing so that you you don't get overwhelmed because it feels like a setup if I give all this stuff to somebody and then I'm mad at them for not picking out the one thing out of 10 things that I mentioned. So um, the first thing I did for myself, which I think speaks to the part of what I was trying to say in class with you last week, Vanessa, about something doesn't feel right to me. I do want to say and explain these things. And it's the feelings of just because I'm not so close to this person, other friends, our dynamic is more love and forgiveness that I can show up in a rage and not know anything. And they will sit patiently with me. We will talk it through. And other people who I don't yet have that relationship that can get so messy. Hmm. So I'm trying to find some personal responsibility and some honesty. And just for me, I just have a lot of feelings that it's helpful to me to just kind of separate that out. So what I said was that I have a lot of feelings about what happened in terms of helping and being asked to do a lot of things and why that was such a big deal is because that is the role I play in my own life. I'm the helper. People come to me first before other people. They come to me because they know the answer. And I, I don't want to be that person. That doesn't feel good. I know you think that that feels good. I present like I'm okay, but I'm telling you I'm not okay with it. So 
we talked a little bit more about that. And I think that they actually, that was all the capacity I think they had room for because it, we talked about other things we shared. And by the end of that conversation, I was just kind of like, I can't do any more than this. And I thought, yeah. what if I did come to this person with my original idea? Like, well, I think I would have felt worse. And I often have that experience where when I'm kind of on the cuff, I'm like, what happened? This doesn't feel good. I feel worse. It just feels like a bigger mess. And that's when I do the kind of screaming and the loud stuff where it just feels more tantrum-y because yeah. I've opened the kitchen drawer of all the miscellaneous stuff, dumped it out, and it's just like chaotic. And I, I don't know how to hold that really well myself all the time. So the part about explaining, it's understanding myself more in terms of what am I trying to say? What do I feel? I think is really key in the way that we talked in class last time and really like everything else in the tat lab of like going slow, 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 yeah. slow. You don't have to do it all in one conversation. Yeah. I heard someone say something this weekend that I thought was so impactful. And she was talking about, I can't remember her name to give her a shout out, but she was talking about the differentiation between intention and impact. And that how a lot of times when we're dealing with ourselves, we're focused on what our intention was behind the actions that we take, where when we're dealing with other people, we're sort of focused in on their impact, right? And if we can be curious a little bit more about sort of like shifting and switching, flipping those, those roles and sort of like, you know, meeting with curiosity. I think a lot of times what we're drawing from in our historic interpretations of whatever's happening is not the most generous interpretation possible. I think if we can make it a habit to shift into of ourselves or of that of the other person. Okay. Okay. So we're not, we're, we're, we're sort of going like the impact on me was I felt hurt. I right. felt flooded. I felt unseen, overwhelmed, whatever. When you asked me for help, you said, I know that you think it feels good that, you know, maybe that's historic. I don't know because I don't know the full context of what was happening with you and this person. But I think if we can meet with curiosity versus the assumption I'm making is that you think this feels good for me. It doesn't. It makes me feel awful. It makes me feel overwhelmed, right? But if we can meet with the most generous interpretation, because most of the time, what I find is people aren't doing things intentionally to hurt us. They're sort of like caught up in their own world. They're caught up in their own story, their own experience. But we don't experience other people that way because we too are caught up in our own world, our own stories, our own experience. But if we can sort of say, like you articulated so beautifully, Nicole, like if I can pause, check in with me, check in with the story I'm telling myself, check in with like what I'm feeling in my body and where I'm feeling it, all of those like somatic things that bring me into the present adult, Nicole, right? And then say, how do I meet this person with curiosity, trying to give the most generous interpretation possible of what their intention was not so much focused on the impact. It's not that the impact doesn't matter, but like that's like directly where we go with other people versus trying to get to like the bottom of like what the intention was first. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Nicole, I think too, what you were saying, it's funny because I feel like I do something very similar, but I almost feel like I do the opposite. Like I feel like I go to explode with people that I don't know. And I feel like I'm less likely to do the people that I do know. Right. So like the more intimate the relationship, the more terrified I am sometimes to actually be honest in my communication. Um, so I just want to call out that I feel like there's people like there's that that are both sides of the spectrum. Um, but Danae, what you're saying, it's it's so powerful. And yet I'm sitting here thinking tangibly, how the fuck do I do that? Like in the moment, 
it feels so overwhelming. The emotion of it all feels so overwhelming that understandably we go into like that fight or flight, right? Like we get really flooded. We kind of go into that emotional space. And I think that our automatic response is usually one of emotion. And look, we all know this is a process. We build this muscle slowly, right? Um, But I think what you were saying, Nicole, about like, I need to split it up. I need to take my time. I know for me, that's really helpful. And that was actually something that I said to, to John last week was like, yes, I'm feeling something, but I don't know quite yet what it is. And I don't think I can talk to you about it yet because I don't have the words and I want the words to make sense, right? Like I want the, I want the impact. I want the, everything to make sense. And, and that's really difficult for him because he's much more of like, a, I think it, I say it, Blah, right? Okay which really overwhelms me because usually what that makes me feel is very flooded. Like I'm put on the spot and I'm expected to respond, which that is the story I'm telling myself, but it feels very much like I'm expected to respond articulately in this moment. And I, I can't do that when I shut down and get flooded. So it also is, again, going back to communication styles, a little bit of it is like noticing, oh shit, I'm feeling flooded and asking, I guess, for a pause or a break to be able to collect myself. Yeah. And I honestly think that so much of our relational work is nervous system work. And you're right. Like I tend to be a little bit more on the job. More like John, like, yeah. Let's hash it out. Let's just do it now. What's the problem? Why we got to wait. And I have learned to say a lot of times what needs to be solved does not need to be solved in this moment. Right. And it is actually a little bit better for our inner adults to come to the conversation and communicate once we've had that pause. So I think that is it. Like we don't need to solve this right now. We don't need to have this conversation until I feel regulated. And I think sometimes naming that I feel flooded. I feel overwhelmed by this. I want to give myself a pause and then let's circle back and talk about this. Once I've had a moment to just like hash out what's coming up for me a little bit. Yeah. I wonder if what's coming up for me is something around this idea of, of parenting, of upbringing. If you had the kind of parent who was a yeller, or if you had the kind mm-hmm. of parent who was a cold shoulder or, <laughs> um, cause I remember this is just coming up. Like you can totally tell the unconscious is just serving this to me, but I have a very visceral, very somatic visceral experience, like re- memory experience of my mom being upset with me about something and me almost like begging her to talk to me about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, please just talk to me about it because that feeling of, Ooh, I just got emotional. Yeah. There's something to that. Um, that feeling of like, you're upset with me and you won't tell me felt so much worse. Mm-hmm. Right. That it feels like there's something in that. Cause obviously this wouldn't be happening if there wasn't, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I had a little bit of both in my mother. So I mean, like, same, trying to same. Like, she was like one extreme or the other, right? Yeah. Like the yelling and the freezing yeah. and the cold shouldering. And so, you know, again, I think naming like what you just did in real time becomes the nervous system regulation work, right? Like what mm-hmm. feels historic about this? Because a lot of times, if we don't take that pause to check in with what this is bringing up for me, John becomes mom, right? Like the person that I'm in communication with, I'm not even seeing them. Like it could be anyone. It's not about you. It's not about what you did or what you said. I'm just back in that space where I'm just like, mom won't love me unless I fix this quickly, right? Like I just need to like tap dance and, or I just need to shut down what I'm feeling because if I don't, I won't be loved. Interesting. Yeah. So what about this idea of, I mean, I guess kind of circling back this, this idea that we first started with, which is like, I feel like I need to scream in order to be heard. The question that I've been pondering 
since that kind of line was first said last week is what does the feeling, I guess there's a couple questions. It's something along like, what does the feeling of heard actually feel like? Like being heard, like, what does that actually mean? What does that feel like? Because how do I know when I've been heard when I've been heard? Like, why do I feel as though the only time I have been heard is that even real? Is that even correct? That the only time I've been heard is when I scream? Um, because is that true hearing or is that shut down and fear and placation and the person just wanting it to stop? Um, like basically where my mind has been this last week is like, is that the story I'm telling myself or is that actually true? Right. That I can only be heard when I scream. Um, maybe I've never tried being heard in any other way, or, I mean, maybe I did when I was a kid, but um, it feels like there's something in that, like what is being heard? What does that feel like? What is the, I guess, not purpose of that, but like the need to that is there, is there part of that need that I can obviously self-soothe and kind of give myself? Um, I don't know. That's a lot. I'm just kind of throwing that out there. There's something in, am I actually heard? And you said this, like, are they just all of a sudden paying attention? It's like a child, like having a tantrum. And then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, okay, Vanessa, like you're heard. Okay. Like it's all good. Right. Like you were good. Like I'm, are you placating me or are you actually attempting to understand me? And I would argue a lot of times when we're screaming, what that person is seeing as the emotion and not what's underneath it, not the like bid for connection that is underneath the screaming. But um, Stephanie, I think. Yeah, um, it kind of feels like I'm listening to what Vanessa is saying. And like, it's like going to the person who has like impacted you emotionally and looking for that validation that they've impacted you. And that person wants like validation that that wasn't their intention. Um, I think like one thing I've learned in like couples therapy is that like the day I have a concern or something comes up is not necessarily the day I bring it up Mm -hmm. because I have to manage my own emotional reactivity separately. So I can be in a calm place to bring it. And a lot of the times when we are bringing something to someone, we might actually have to like, like let them have their reactivity, give them permission to like have their own reaction. And the day we get the answer is not the day we bring the concern up either. Like it really takes a lot of time and slowing down. Yeah. I think that's so insightful, Stephanie, because the thing is like, what does it mean to me to be heard? It's like, the human response to need to defend ourselves when we feel like, you know, nobody wants to feel like they're a bad person. When we feel like we're being criticized, when we feel like we're being attacked, I think that's a really great point in terms of like, what would hearing me do for me? Like, is the intention to connect with this person, to bring us closer, to deepen our our relationship and our intimacy and safety between us? Well, like bringing it up in a way that that person is going to like hear it as you screwed up, you hurt me, I'm emotional. Like that's not going to, that's not going to feel like a bid for connection. That's going to leave that person to feel like they need to defend themselves. Right. So can I get still enough to articulate it in a way where I'm actually attempting to create closeness? It's like that rupture repair cycle, right? So if I tell you in a way that again, I'm giving you the generous interpretation. And I think this is something I've actually heard Stephanie speak to, which is I'm sure this wasn't your intention. And what I felt when X, Y, Z happened was blank, right? But if we give that benefit of the doubt, it feels so different to that other person's nervous system as they're hearing it. 
I've got a lot of things coming up around this, but I want to hear what Nicole has to say. (laughs) (laughs) Something that I want to share in that question, Vanessa, is what is feeling heard look like and feel like? And for me, I don't remember which um, school of thought or which therapist uh, introduced this, but that exercise of I heard you say, is that right? And Mm. don't move on to anything else unless I get it exactly right. And that the person who's sharing also doesn't talk for like five minutes, but like gives it in small chunks. And that I found has been the single most important thing when someone does that for me. I, for people that are friends with me, they know, I will often ask when you get into conflict and it's starting to get a little too hot, I'll say, can we please do that listening exercise, that structure? Cause I feel like it's a really clear tool. Mm-hmm. I fought it. I know my friends fight it when I bring it up, but we have an agreement. Like if someone requests it, we automatically do it. It's designed to keep us safe and keep us really focused and not to do more other than listen. What's always shown me is for somebody who thinks I listen well is I actually wasn't listening well. It's harder to listen for just the words and to give it back exactly as they told me. But when I do, it changes everything. I see immediately that they soften, I soften, we reflect it back to each other, and then we can continue. But that hot, prickly feeling, that near atomic physical sensation totally de-escalates mm-hmm. it puts the pin back and the bomb and it just there's like a willingness to listen better and also like we put down our swords and like all our defenses and we just are willing to just talk again mm-hmm. and sometimes that can take a long time but the longest it took for me I timed it was 40 minutes before we reached that point where it just softened and before we know it, we were kind of apologizing to each other because we realized I wasn't listening I could have done this better I I don't even really know how that works. I just know if I do my part of it, at some point they'll respond. And then like this magical thing happens. I love it. And here's what I want to name because I work with a lot of couples. And this is one of the strategies that is often used in couples therapy. Vanessa and I talk about this a lot. Like her partner, John, has an extreme amount of capacity as a therapist, right? Even John struggles sometimes to meet Vanessa with the amount of tolerance and patience. And I'm like speaking for you, but like, like, you know, the window of tolerance to stay in that, like you're saying it takes like 40 minutes, like, and most people, when we're activated and like our nervous system, like they don't want to meet me there. They're like, mm-hmm. Fuck you and you're like what you heard me say, I don't care. Like, and so how do I, how do I meet that? Right. Like, because not all of us, I mean, beautiful friend group that you have from what it sounds like, Nicole. And a lot of us don't have people in our lives with that level of capacity. And so I do feel like we have to, this is sometimes where I struggle with some of the couples therapy modalities is like, you know, how do we- On paper, it sounds great. Yeah, and even like, I feel like I have been in couples therapy where we have worked those and it's like, yeah, that works for a week or two and then we're overdoing that. And I don't wanna hear like, repeat it back to me again because I don't care what you said, right? And so how do we start to like tangibly stay in the space of working through some of these moments of like feeling like I'm not being seen or heard when that person won't, won't be so generous in the way that they're meeting me. Do you know what I mean? Here's my overlap, right? This is what was kind of coming up before. I'm glad Nicole, you spoke to this. So what I'm struggling with is the, the strategy. And I want to use the word strategy because I guess strategy feels a little bit manipulative to me. And I know that part of our recovery is really around not being so manipulative, but there is some strategy and like, what is the goal that I hope to get from this, you know, conversation and how do I, how do I best kind of go in with that goal in mind? Um, but I'm, I'm torn between because I don't ever speak up, right. 
well, let's not say don't ever, but let's just, we'll use the extreme terms because I t- have a tendency to not speak up, right? <clears throat> I want to say these three things. And I know these three things can come across as like, I feel like really mean. Um, I can't, I can't give specifics because we're just not going to go there. But like, let's say Danae this last week and you're like, you need to say that thing, right? Um, my, so here's what I struggle with. Is that being mean? My therapist might say, it doesn't sound mean to me. It sounds honest. Okay. You say the thing. Now the struggle is sitting in the discomfort of them having a hurt feeling. That's what's up. Right. So here's where our codependency work comes in. And this is what, that's why I don't say the thing. (laughs) And that is, I'm going to keep your side of the street clean for you. I'm going to determine what you can tolerate hearing, not taking into account what might be beneficial in terms of that person's growth, that person's capacity, that person having the right to have all of the information about what is going on between us relationally. But I'm going to keep that from them because I know what they can tolerate and what they can't handle. And they can't handle that. And they'll shut down and they won't love me. But that's not relational. That's sort of me being in a relationship with me and my narrative. And that person has no idea about 90% of the thing that things that are circulating in my head. And that is manipulative. Like let's, let's call a thing, a thing, you know, I know it's a story we tell ourselves I'm about like, I'm being, in the ass. like I'm being nice. <laughs> I'm being the nice one. No, you're not. You're manipulating. And we all do it. And it's completely a survival mechanism. It's completely what we learned to do when we were little to stay in relationship with the people we needed to stay in relationship with. And our inner adult stepping in says, I am responsible for regulating what is happening within me, my internal landscape. That person is responsible for navigating their internal landscape. If that person cannot tolerate doing that for themselves, I'm not their parent. That's not my job. Um, and that's information I need to know about this relationship. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Hmm. The number of times that I have, um, that I have not said something in an intimate relationship in order to not hurt somebody else's feelings. Like, I don't even think that I can count that, mm-hmm. that right. Uh, and the number of times that I have not given two flying fucks about that at like a work situation also can't count. Like, it's so funny to me how different it is based on intimacy level, um, where I'm like, no, this person just needs to hear it. Like they can take it or they can't. And it's so cut and dry when I don't have like some kind of intimate connection with that person, um, to be able to take that skill and translate it into intimacy is difficult. Yeah. I mean, the stakes are higher. Um, this is the love that I don't want to lose. Like the, that, I mean, Mm-hmm. I, I probably like to be liked by people I don't know a little bit too much. I might be the opposite, but, um, but I think that it's, yeah, like it's attachment stuff, right? Like this is the person that I need to keep in my life because if this love goes away, um, that's going to be really painful. Mm-hmm. Stephanie, I feel like your hand was up and you put it down. Why did you put it down? <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. Put your hand down. <laughs> It felt like it was going a different direction, I guess. Um, I guess I was thinking like, it feels like relationships are such a closed loop system that it's hard to get like that outer perspective when you only have your partner and they're like, you're biased, they're biased. Like, I don't know, like it feels like triangulation to have someone to process it with. Um, But I know in my past, my last partner had trouble bringing things to me and I would ask him like, well, who do you have to go to to like talk about, like, like to talk about things? And he's like, well, I have like, a friend and I was like oh do you talk to your friend about your problems and he's like no 
And I was like, okay. And he's like, well, I have my family. And I was like, do you talk to your family about your problems? He's like, no. And I was like, well, who are you going to talk to if you can't talk to me, your friends or your family? Like, I can't have you not bring something to me for like two months <laughs> that's been bothering you and me continue to do that thing that's been bothering you. Like, I think just like when I think about, I mean, I could be genderized and say men, but it could be anyone and they don't have like someone, they don't have that type of support that the rest of us do. I mean, I think you can be genderized. I think that that is part of the patriarchal system that we live in. You know, no, it's not just cut and dry, all men, all women. But I do think that we, you know, we socialize it into little boys that they're not supposed to talk about their feelings. They tend to not have the type of close relationships that women do because of, again, how they're raised and what's deemed socially acceptable and not. And I mean, look, this is, we look at this in the research as a direct correlation to the level of depression in men, the suicide rate in men. Right. Um, so I think you're, I think you're actually spot on on that, Stephanie. And I think it's so interesting in terms of, you know, the interdependence conversation that we often have. And, um, I had this moment of like, oh, this weekend. And I was telling Vanessa, I was like, you know, I feel like what we as women do is we sort of outsource our attempt to be seen and, um, you know, acknowledge we, we look for like, and obviously I'm speaking heteronormatively, but we look to the men in our lives to do that. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I am here. I am a person because you see me because you acknowledge me. Right. Whereas men, I feel like a lot of times look to have their feelings, their ability to feel and, um, allow themselves to express whatever is happening through their partners. And so that is like where they meet and they outsource that need instead of like giving myself the ability to just like feel what I feel and be free in what I'm feeling. And, you know, all of that in men has been conditioned to shut it down. I'd love to hear if any of the men in the room want to like jump in with their thoughts, but, um, a lot of this work, and this is, first of all, I think Stephanie's point is so important. We do need a village. I think we have put way too much on our partnerships in terms of like all of my reparenting should be done on my partner. No, absolutely. Like first line of defense is like, can I check in with myself and regulate myself? But absolutely. Like Vanessa comes to me all the time, most of the time, because I tend to see things a little bit more from John's perspective. And so I give her like that, you know, opposing, like what else could be true? I don't want somebody that's going to placate me. That's not why I'm coming to you, right? Like I wouldn't come to you for that for sure. Yeah. But also a therapist, also a community, like the tat lab also, you know, nature, like all of these other places to process other than just like, it goes directly to my partner all the time because it's just, most of us don't have the capacity for that. Most of us don't have the capacity to not feel like holding all of your, um, emotional stuff is, yeah, yeah, it's going to make me feel like I'm constantly failing you. I'm constantly doing this wrong. I'm, you know, like that's anybody's going to feel that. Well, I would say too, not even just partnership, like romantically. I mean, I have been in friendships where I have felt like the sole holder of somebody's shit. Yeah. And it has made me like burn out on that friendship and want to like push away. Right. And want to like back off because yeah, I do have the codependent tendencies to be the caregiver and the fixer and the problem solver. And so people come to me for that. Um, and if one person feels like they don't have that village around them and there's not multiple people that they can go to, and I suddenly become the sole person, it's, it's too much pressure and and it does end up kind of crumbling the relationship. And I will say to speak to the idea of triangulation that you brought up, Stephanie, um, I'm kind of torn about that. Like I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm in more Danae's camp where 
you know, we have this idea in therapy around how triangles are bad. And it's just like a very kind of black and white way of looking at it. And I don't always believe that that's true. Um, I believe that there, it, this is more of that communal way of healing versus like psychology, like let's be real, just psychology in general tends to come from a more patriarchal Western white man, right? I mean, this is really where all of this came from originally. And I think that the more kind of feminine, uh, communal way of healing is community, right? It is like, I need to lean on you for this. I need to lean on you for this. You help me in this way. All that to say what I have found, and I'll bring it back to myself here, is that I do have to be really careful with the quote unquote triangles, because even in my conversations with like Danae or my conversations with my therapist, I will alleviate the anxiety around the rupture or around whatever's going on for me in that other dynamic through talking it out. And then I won't actually bring it to that person. And here's what I will say about triangles. And I think this is an important piece. And I was thinking this, as you were saying, and you sort of touched on it. I think we have to have a fair amount of personal responsibility in the way that we're using our triangles. Yeah. Meaning if I'm just constantly you coming to me to vent about John, but not actually like looking for like, what am I missing here? What is my point? Like, if this is just like the John bashing show, then right. I, I got to like take responsibility for how am I using this? Like you said, am I using this as the release valve so that I don't actually have to like move from problem to solution? I don't actually ever have to be in relationship with the person I'm in relationship with, or is this more like to get other perspectives other than like the person who's so close and in it with me all the time. And I'm just like zooming out a little bit because I'm not so close because I don't have the buy-in that you and John have on your dynamics. Um, that feels different to me. And, and, you know, like I, I'll be the first, but no, I agree with John. I think you're totally wrong. Um, and I think, I think you want that though. I don't think you want someone who's just going to like co-sign your venting. I mean, like, yes, we need to vent, but if it's like just a continuous stream, not only is that not productive, but that gets, like you said, really draining for that person we're using as that release valve. I would say the same for therapists. I'm a big proponent as a therapist to like cut off the venting. <laughs> I'm like, no, we don't just sit here and vent. No, that's not. Productive. A lot of therapists would disagree with that though. And I, 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 I am very firmly in the camp of like, listen, every once in a blue moon, we all just need to bitch and vent. That's like normal. But like you said, if it becomes the, the kind of norm, like that's not therapy. <laughs> Well, because then it just reaches the point where we're just sort of perpetuating our wounding, right? Like it's almost like we're traumatizing ourselves with like the playing out of like, yes, self-gaslighting. It's like, wait, can we just pause on that for a second? Because for those who are listening to this are not going to see that we obviously have a chat going because we're on zoom and you said it's self-gaslighting, right? So when you do finally communicate the thing, you basically minimize how important it actually was to you or is to you. Yeah. And that's exactly what I do after going to the other people in my life in that state of really heightened emotion. And then I've kind of like soothed that really heightened emotion. And by the time, if I do speak up, it's like, oh, you know, well, maybe kind of, sort of, this is kind of how I feel. And then that's that, that's that, uh, yeah. Oof, feel that. Eric, what's coming up for you? Yeah, I think that um, that bitching and venting thing, that, that's something I've caught myself doing with my therapist. Like, and I'll, I'll say to her, I feel like I'm just, I feel like I'm just complaining here. And it kind of, this kind of goes back to what you were talking about, like with, you know, with the feminine, it's more communal and being raised as, you know, a heterosexual male, like I don't have 
community. That's what I was raised with. Like I go to myself mm. and, and internalize things and no real healing takes place there because the only thing you build internally is resentment. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when I catch myself doing that with my therapist, like that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm just verbalizing resentment mm. and not actually finding a solution for what the problem is. And then, you know, I kind of feel like, you know, you were saying earlier, like you need, I think you use the word patience and that's come up for me recently, like as something I need, I need patience because I don't have the words in the moment and I need time to actually put the words into place and hopefully get them to come out of my mouth the way they're organized in my head. And I mentioned this in the chat, like, I feel like I can have a very clear thought in my head, but if I'm feeling like I'm being forced in the moment to say it, the clear thought doesn't come out. And I feel like that's where the, the, like that tantrum mentality starts to come out and it just feels like an attack. But I also feel shame around having to go take time, write things down, and come back to the conversation later because I feel like I should be a normal person who can just, you know, verbalize what he thinks and feels in the moment. And I just, I don't have that capacity, at least not yet. Oh, well, and the air quotes are unnormal, right? I mean, right. What the fuck does that mean? Like, why can't we all just say we process differently? We all have different upbringings that shaped our nervous system. We all have different capacities. We all have different strengths and weaknesses, you know, and there's no such fucking thing as normal. And you're right. It it is this feeling, especially when you're in relationship with, and it doesn't matter again, what kind of relationship with somebody who is really quick to verbalize and has that ability to like Mm -hmm. think on their feet in that way. It makes you feel like the bumbling idiot, right? It makes you feel like, yeah. yeah. And like ashamed for needing a moment and uh, that's just not, it's just not accurate, right? A shame for needing a moment or, you know, a half an hour or a day. Or a day, <laughs> you know? right. Like, yeah, or whatever. exactly, yeah. But I love, and this is something I feel like you speak to a lot, B. Like, I love, you know, offensive communication to me is saying the things, saying what's hard. So like, you'll say a lot of times, like, I'm not going to say this perfectly. This is going to come out a little disjointed because I'm not clear. Like, name that, right? Yeah. Or even saying, this is really hard for me to say to you because the story I'm telling myself is that you're going to feel hurt and I don't want to hurt your feelings, mm-hmm. right? If we if we say the thing that's in our head that we're afraid of, it sort of like takes its power away. It diffuses and it brings that person into empathy and people are a lot more likely to hear what we're saying with an open heart when we bring them into that space of empathy versus like, we're both sort of like, um, armored up here, not, not letting the other person see me. I got to protect myself at all times. It's this like adversarial role that we take so often in our relationships. Like I got to protect myself from you. And it's like, who said we're at war? Like, what, why do you need to, like, you don't have to say things perfectly with me. I love you. Like what, why is that necessary? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up too tonight because, um, that's something that I feel quite a bit like, you know, actually bringing something to my partner, um, you know, I can feel like I don't want to hurt their feelings, you know, so I won't bring it or at least that's how I've operated in the past. I won't bring it because I don't want to do something that's going to hurt their feelings. So I've taken the entire situation or the scenario and made it all about me. And therefore I don't verbalize anything. And I, you know, I know that that does not help 
but getting past that is the, is the tricky part. <laughs> and I think to me, it becomes, how do I let what is theirs be theirs? What is mine be mine? You can't hurt my feelings because whatever you say to me is some sort of a projection of your experience of the world that you've had up to this point. Now, I get it in the moment that is very difficult for all of us to continue to stay in that awareness. And I can remind myself that as long as I'm saying whatever it is with compassion, whatever it is, not like in an attacking way, but you know, attempting to connect with this person, um, their hurt feelings, their interpretation of it, the narrative they tell themselves about it, that is again, their side of the street, they're a hundred percent to take. It's not my responsibility to fix that for you. That's your interpretation and how you choose to interpret it. If my intention was love and, you know, connecting with you, if you, if you spin that into something else, I'm going to like be walking on eggshells forever and not able to say anything and never being actually in relationship with you because I can't let you see me, you know, which like historically, like I think a lot of us in this room have been in those kinds of relationships again, whether romantic or friend or parental, we've been in exactly that. And so that is essentially what we learned. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it makes sense that it continues to haunt us and show up now. Yeah. Yeah, I keep telling myself, at least recently, um, re- repeating the words that my partner said to me. It's like being not being honest is more hurtful yeah. mm. than the thing you might say that may not come out the way you want it to. I need to tattoo that on my forehead. <laughs> it's so real. I don't feel safe with you when you hold back from me. I would so yes. much rather you tell me the uncomfortable truth and let me just like figure out how to wait than like you hold back. I don't feel safe. And and that's a little what you were saying, Vanessa, about like how different people process things differently. I feel so unsafe when I can feel energetically there's something going on that you're not saying to me, then I shut down, then I pull away because- But so then what's that middle, right? And I and I know this because so- the thing. I know, well, but we don't have it in the moment. Like we need the time to process it. And so there becomes a strain of like, and all of you in this room know about that friendship that ended of mine. And that was exactly what she said to me. I don't feel safe in this relationship when I know that there's something going on for you that you're not communicating to me. I tried to explain, yes, but I need time to be able to communicate it to you. Like, I don't know what it is. I just know something's going on, right? So, and it's very similar in this relationship now romantically. It's like, okay, so is the tangible tool for two people who are very different in the way that they process and communicate to say, which is what I actually did a couple of days ago, like, I'm feeling some sort of way. I recognize that you can sense it. I don't know how to articulate it right now. Like, just please give me the time and know that I will come to you when I'm ready. Yeah. The other person still feels like annoyed and unsafe. And that's not your work though. Right. So like, yes, like that person, that friend you're talking about, like saying, well, now I don't feel safe with you because you took time. Like if I've named, I need some time to process this, then that is my work to self-soothe through what comes up around you needing time. Right. Right. But if you just like take off and you don't talk to me and you're like abandoning me in the space of like, you know, then that becomes that stonewalling that I maybe felt from my mother as a child. And I'm back in that space. And then I don't feel safe with you. But if you say, listen, I hear you. I just need a little time before we talk about this. Can we circle back tomorrow? Whatever. (laughs) Someone said, I'm going to need therapy after this. (laughs) Um, 
But it's, it's, I think so much of our work is saying the thing, right? The mm-hmm. thing that's circulating in my head, you know, my favorite phrase in the world is the story I'm telling myself mm-hmm. about this is if we can just say the thing, we can alleviate so much relational muck. Even if the thing is, I don't know how to say the thing. Even if the thing is, I need a day to circle back and talk to you about this. I feel flooded. I feel overwhelmed. I can't even tell you how often with my kid's dad, I'm like, I need a moment alone. My nervous system is like in full overload. Can you send me an email about what you're asking me? And then we'll talk about it later. I think asking for what I need, but like, like Eric said, we feel so much shame about my nervous system feeling flooded that I am like, I am dysregulated. But if we take the shame out of it and make it like, yeah, this is what happens to us human animals when we have a trauma response, then I don't have to feel bad about like, yeah, I'm going to be flooded. It's going to happen. And when it does, here's what I need. What's so funny about this entire conversation is that this giant thing that I'm building up in my head that I've been trying to have the conversation about is about my nervous system being flooded. (laughs) Literally, that is the conversation, right? Like I'm a mom, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Like I just need a fucking minute. (laughs) Like that's literally the conversation. So it's funny that the shame is around needing the minute. The the solution to the shame is just asking for the minute. (laughs) Well, you're welcome. And we're so happy that all of us could process you now go say the thing. Oh yeah. I love you all. Well, thank you for, um, allowing us to, to do this partner dynamic right now. Cause I think it was helpful to kind of like, just get into what we were discussing last week and roll around in it more. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. I, I like coming to codependency class. <laughs> Maybe I'll pop into one of Danae's classes. Yeah, she should come to restoration, right, y'all? I don't know. I feel so nervous. You always tell me like there's everybody's crying and yes. it's like, <laughs> and, yes, like this, I'm never coming. You guys avoid it. I'm like, nah. I'm like, like, oh yeah, we cry all the time in restoration. It's amazing. Mostly like, Danae crying. Let's be honest. I was about to say Danae cries a lot. I'm like, yes, I do. I own it. I own that aspect of my humanity, y'all. I will not apologize. He threw your ass out of the bus. He's like, really? Who's crying here? It's just just a room full of people watching me cry. It's amazing. That's good for you today. (laughs) Uh, All right, y'all. We'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae Logan Selkin. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.